Welcome to the Expat Cast. I'm your host, Nicole, and I am coming to you from my apartment with Wi-Fi! Finally! Only took, mm, what, six weeks? Yeah, I think that's ridiculous. Um, I had some issues setting up the Wi-Fi, so it took an extra day at the end, which isn't that big of a deal in the long run, but you know when you're waiting on something and you're finally expecting it to just work and then it doesn't, and then you call customer support, and it's super unhelpful because Germans don't understand customer service. Anyway, I have Wi-Fi now. That's really great. (laughs) I also spent some time over the last weekend hanging art up around my apartment, so it's really starting to feel like home, and I'm on vacation next week. All right, so this is all to say... I'm becoming more of a normal person again. Less of this, like, chaos, panic, host Nicole mood. More, um, I wouldn't say calm, cool, collected, but whatever normal me is, is coming your way. (laughs) This week's episode traces its roots back to the same Twitter conversation that brought you episode six of season two with Summer, was relationships with loved ones back home. And this all actually started when I took over the We Are Expats Roker. So if you're not already following We Are Expats, it's W-E-A-R-E-X-P-A-T-S on Twitter. Definitely go check them out. Every week you get a new perspective from a new expat somewhere in the world. And when I took over that account, I got into a conversation with some different expats about how you manage friends, family, all, all of these relationships with these people that you have in your life from back in your home country. Summer gave us her perspective, and today we're going to kick it over to Nick, who moved to Germany from England a good few years back now and really committed to the move when he made it. So we'll get to hear from him what that actually means and what that actually looks like. Nick is such a fun and easy guy to talk to, so that topic was really a springboard to talk about a whole bunch of other cool, fun, expat-y things. (laughs) But before we get to that, I have a quick message from a friend of the show, and then we'll dive into the episode. Hello, ExpatCast listeners. My name is Stephanie, and I'm a huge fan of Nicole's project. I'd also like to invite you over to listen to my Virtual Expats podcast, and I'd like to tell you just a little bit of something. The Virtual Expats podcast is part of the Virtual Expats PodTube experience, which, as you may guess, is part podcast, part YouTube channel. In the podcast, we chat with people who are living outside their passport countries and how their geographic movement affects what they do online and their online presence. On the YouTube channel, I go into more of the personal aspect of my own expat experience and how it affects what I do online. I really look forward to you visiting us anywhere that podcasts are, or you can go to the Podbean page at virtualexpats with an S dot podbean dot com. My information is also at stephfuccio, S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O dot weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com. I look forward to being in your ears. Yeah, that sounds weird. Oh, well. My name is uh, Nick Halton. I live in Augsburg. Um, I've only lived here since September because I was living in Nuremberg and I lived there for seven years. How did this all start? Like what brought you to Wolfers? It's like a bit of a long winded story. It's kind of, it's a funny one because it's maybe one of the more romantic stories you might ever hear. But I met my wife in first year at university in 2007. Like fell in love with her and she didn't know my name or who it was, except that she lived upstairs from us. Over the months, 
I managed to ingratiate myself enough in her, in, into her good graces. Um, professed my love for her. She professed her love for me, which was a big surprise. And then um, we basically kept the relationship going all the way through university. So about four, four years. I did three-year degree and uh, we both did masters. And then in 2011, I just moved. Finished my masters. There wasn't many opportunities in Newcastle, so packed all my stuff up into five boxes or something, and then that was depressing. Five boxes of stuff, and then moved, and that's that, that's the sort of start of it, really. I, no, no forethought. No, <laughs> Absolutely none. The best way to go. Well, you'd think like I, because I, I had a similar like I kind of just was like, eh, and I guess I'll do it now. But I think a lot of people think that after dating someone for so long, you must have like been like, okay, we've been talking about it, thinking about it. Now it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Like not my experience. No, not at all. I didn't. I didn't. We didn't even talk about it until like the the moment I decided to do it. It wasn't. I wasn't seriously considered as a thing. In fact, I just hadn't, I'd thought about, because I'd studied East Asian history. And so my thought was go to China, go to Japan, uh, get some sort of experience, learn a bit of the language, come back, maybe get a, a PhD or something like that. Um, and I was sitting in my, the, the head lecturer on my master's course, sitting in his office and we were talking. And he, he said, what are you going to do after you finish your MA? And I was like, no idea. And he said, your wife's, uh, your girlfriend's German. And I was like, yeah. And he said, why don't you move to Germany? And it was like this sort of fog just disappeared from my eyes. And I was like, yeah, why don't I move to Germany? Like, that seems like a really sensible, like, it seems so obvious. And so I just did it. And it seemed like the right thing to do. And I didn't think about it. I think I made the decision in, like, May. And by August, I packed all my stuff up and I was gone. Um, And it was a good point because you're leaving sort of university anyway. Everything's sort of coming to an end. And so it didn't feel like you had so many restrictions. My family was, I've got quite a big family, so my family was a bit worried about it. But my mum gave me some pretty solid advice, which was, you can always come back. And so that was always the mantra was like, well, if this all goes wrong, I'll just come back. What's the end? Of the, it's not really the end of the world. So that's interesting too, because I wanted to ask what your family's reaction was. Because what I find is like, whatever maybe in in the person who moves mind they have some degree of expectation or acceptance that this is a thing Mm. that they're going to be doing but that is Mm. not necessarily true for the circle of people around them and i think it's really interesting to hear what what they thought about it i remember remember the first time i showed one of my i've got three older brothers and i showed like one of them came to visit me at university and uh, my wife well well, then it wasn't even my girlfriend it's just the girl downstairs went out jogging with her friends and I said, I really like that that girl. And he, he just turned around and went, you've got no chance. Right? <laughs> so that was, that's the first sort of inkling, right? But Brothers my, my are older great. Brother, my <laughs> oldest brother was, he, I think he was really worried about, we'd sort of, I'd lived in Scotland for 10 years. I'd lived away from the family already. I had my teenage years and sort of early 20s in Scotland that I moved back for university. So I always had that sort of feeling of like home is a movable, movable sort of concept. Um, and he just sort of got to know me and I got to know him again um, as, as, as adults. And I think he was really worried. So he was the one who was more direct with his criticism. Uh, what happens if it all goes wrong? You don't know the language. Um, but it was coming from, wasn't coming from a mean place. It was coming from a place of concern. I think they knew after the first year where we had a relationship over long distance that it was probably more serious than they thought. She was coming to visit me and I was visiting her. So my family were pretty relaxed about it. 
don't even know if we had like a leaving party. I think my brother made us a cake. Huh? And that was it. And it was sort of, that was just how it was. It wasn't, there was no challenge. There was no sort of dramatics. It was just decision made. Go do it. Go live your life, you know. And we're all pretty independent. So I was thought about as my grandparents passed away uh, quite, quite soon after each other in 2007. And I think if they'd been alive, my granddad would have thought it was the greatest thing ever. But my grandmother would still have the old sort of British concept of Germany about Germany being the enemy, you know. Yeah, that was to be the only thing that I would have thought, even in my family, would be a problem. But no, it wasn't really an issue. I know it can be for other people, but... Glad that it wasn't for you, though. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I like this version better where it's like, huh, is this smart? I don't know. I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, cool. Here's a cake. Mm-hmm. Bye. Have fun. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they couldn't nice. have made it easy for us. Uh, easier for us, sorry. I find it difficult now, actually, going back. Uh, I find it way more difficult than I did at first, but um, which sort of gets to the, the nub of the issue, I suppose. I think that's less from family dynamics. I miss my, my brothers have all had kids now, and it's really difficult when I go back and and I see I see them because you sort of you see snapshots of people. So I think when my dad was sick as well, so I saw him, I had a snapshot in my head, and he had he had cancer. So when I came back, he was a completely different person. You know you. Obviously, with the treatment and, and things like that, that impacts your your physical sort of physical symptoms of it. And so I saw him at like Christmas, and I saw him again in sort of the summer. And at that point, he'd lost a lot of weight, he'd lost all his hair, and it was kind of like whoa, like that was quite shocking. But so the the negative side of it is certainly quite can be quite dramatic. But initially, yeah, you know, um, I'd had it before when I moved from Scotland. A lot of people ask me why would you move? Why are you moving? Like as if the place that we lived was some sort of utopia mm-hmm. that you would never leave. And it wasn't. It was a really horrible place. <laughs> and, uh, did you, when your dad got sick, did you think about going back temporary or for good? There's never been a, a thought in my mind about going back to Britain unless there was like something really, like something tragedy happened and I had to sort of, had to go back and resolve it but well like some would say cancer is a bit of a tragedy yeah i mean like oh no no i mean so if i was thinking sort of i'd have to take responsibilities that i didn't have now okay like my dad's sickness of of course like when when my my mum's been ill as well and 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 sort of in those instances of course it sort of goes through your head about you realize the distance it's only like you sort of don't think about it day to day um that sort of trouble you can always phone people and it's really easy. And then you, you have like a, an illness or a bereavement and you're like, oh God, I'm thousands of kilometers away from the people I need to be with. I had that in the reverse actually a few years ago. My, my, my wife's grand, grandfather passed away and like it was Christmas. It was like the day, it was of the, like the 25th. I got a phone call and he's very sick, but it's still, it's, 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 a, it's a bereavement. And it was, how do you manage that? Like they were adamant that I shouldn't go back I was like, I can't believe that they even believe that. And it was really hard to understand the sort of their perspective. Because for them, they were like, our family members died and you're with your family. But for me, I was like, you're my family too. And they were like, yeah, but it's different. And so we had this really odd conversation. But when it was my, my dad, yeah, I think there's like hot button topics where if, if my brother texted us and said, you've got to come back, they would give us the heads up like, you need to come back as soon as possible and then I would just get on a flight and go. But the idea of going back is 
it's a step backwards, isn't it? You know, I mean, you've got to you've got to have a certain mentality about it. I don't think you can do long term what what we're doing. If you if you're constantly one foot in this, the country you were originally from and then one foot in Germany, you're never gonna you're never gonna survive. And you see people who've lived here for twelve years who still don't speak German. Or I mean, my German's pretty poor, but it's functional and I get around and I don't find myself totally bemused all the time. Mm. But um, if you've got one foot in another country, you, you're not really you sort of you're not really committing, and and it means that you don't really you're maybe not in the right mindset. So for me, that was what I thought was I have to be committed to this and there is no step backwards that would take me to the UK because my opportunities are better here. I like so. 95% agree with you and theoretically 100%, um, especially in terms of like really embracing like where you are and, and learning the culture, learning the language, all that. Like I think it's, I think a lot of people need to kind of step up their game a little and if they want to be here mm-hmm. really like kind of embrace that but but then the five percent that makes me like oh no I should listen to you but I don't is I just don't want to have to miss out on things from back home that are important and I'm having I mean I'm only a year and a half in so I think I need to get better at it over time but I already I went back three times in the first year and then the week I got back for my last visit back home my mom had a mammogram that turned up positive and, and she got breast cancer. Yes. And I was faced with this. I mean, for me, it was like, oh, what do I do? I, like, I just got back. I'm starting this new job in a couple weeks. I don't, uh, what, what, what? And and luckily, I mean, on so many levels, luckily her cancer was pretty minor and it's taken care of. I mean, it would have been great oh, to be news. there for her. But yeah, but uh-huh. it didn't come to that point. I mean, we my, my brothers and I discussed, like, should they try to help me help bring me back help pay for it all this kind of stuff and I was like you know what I I want to say yes of course but I think we also need to be like okay if, if it does get worse then we need to save that card for then and if it gets better then then it gets better but well, that topic yeah. was tough but I think I, I qualify what I'm saying this is me seven years in you know I mean at this point I'm too invested to unless unless it was a job that was that was so amazing I couldn't refuse the offer then there's nothing that's going to make us go back to britain but in the first in the first years and months or months and years it's a different equation you know and i I moved in the august and and i was by december i was almost chewing my leg off to to get back to britain you know i was sort of i feel like i'm sort of trapped in this tiny little german village don't really understand the language i've got a job but i don't know if it's really the job i want I turned down another job that I thought might be my dream job because it was in Munich and I couldn't, I had moved to Germany to then move to a city that wasn't where my, my girlfriend was. And it wasn't as stable as it is now. Whereas seven years on, you have stuff, you have stability, you know, maybe after, after a bit of time. But I think, I think the first years, you're always going to be like that because you're trying to find a new identity because you don't, you're not the same person as you were when you were back home. Your identity shifts and, you reinvent yourself and you make new friends and, and, and get a new job and that sort of those things, those elements of define you, you who you are really. And, and so, yeah, I totally understand what you mean. And, and when it's something as serious as a, as a parent being sick, it's, it's gut wrenching. You, you, you want to be with them. You want to, especially if it's something that looks 
like it might be terminal, you know, like every 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 minute you spend with the, the, your loved ones, when, when something like that happens, it's, it's infinite priceless value, you know, and of course, that's understandable, but once you're invested, once it becomes day to day, um, I mean, how can I leave the pretzels? They're so delicious. It would be crazy <laughs> for me to leave. This is a very I, valid I love, point. I love my family, but they're not bakers. You know, you they can't don't bake eat them. Cakes. Yeah, I can't. So no. The value is limited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you settled into like a rhythm with this whole going back? It sounded like you said you were there at Christmas and in summer. Is that your, your deal? or? I'm kind of spur of the moment. So, like, and you can imagine how that how that affects my life in Germany. I, I was very, about to say, great, great that you live here. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, in a place together. where the, <laughs> short-term thinking isn't really on the cards here. But it, <laughs> yeah, so last year I was, I went back in May and I went back in the summer and I went back at Christmas, so three times. It, it's usually when I've got a length of time off from work. Uh, Christmas, I can't hack German Christmases. Really? I just can't do it. I think they take Stillenacht, the Silent Night concept, to an extreme whereas in britain and in the northeast is it's like white hot for for about a day and a half just pure madness you have christmas day and boxing day and in the northeast boxing day is a big big thing everyone goes out and they're sort of it sounds a little bit victorian but they do they go out in the finery and everyone just goes out and gets hammered you know and it's lovely because everyone's really happy and then you have christmas here and it's quite sedate it's not as drunken for a start <laughs> most of the time, you know. Yeah, it's quite it's quite reserved. And that's just my experience of German Christmas. I, I'm, I'm aware that the term German Christmas is sort of generic and doesn't really mean anything. It's different in different families I, in different places. I do get the feeling, though, I know in America, I wonder if they say this in, in England, too. There's the whole, like, never forget the reason for the season. And it's very, mm. like, let's all remind each other about Jesus because we've all forgotten um, Germany has never forgotten the reason for the season. They have full and total focus. With the northeast of England, if you give us a public holiday, we'll just turn it in an opportunity to spend all day in the pub. And <laughs> you can see that is quite limited. But when you think about how much joy that brings to people's lives, you know, that, <laughs> that moment of escape. And I think that the celebratory nature of the, the Geordies in the northeast of Newcastle is, is, is never more sort of present than a, a public holiday. So you don't want to miss that. We have this, this is a tradition, right? The last Friday before Christmas is called Black Eye Friday. Ooh. It's when all the office workers go out on the hoy and everyone gets drunk and <laughs> end up punching each other and getting black eyes. So, but imagine trying to explain that to a room full of corporate types in Germany. It just makes us sound like animals, you know, like we're sort of exactly what the stereotype would suggest. That'll get you the good. Um, a recent podcast guest taught me his his term, the German look of disapproval, and it's mm. that look that the, when you you tell them something like that, and they're just like, huh, huh, not disgust, not like anger, just yeah. disapproval. <laughs> but I mean, I do. I mean, a lot of my work is intercultural communication. So in those moments, as soon as they give us that look. Then you then you're in a discussion about ethnocentrism, you know, and yeah, like, yeah. that's your perspective of the event. Doesn't mean it's the universal perspective, and it's actually an opportunity to point out that it's very obvious that you think that's not an acceptable way to spend your time. But if you lived in the northeast of England, you'd think it was the most normal way because it's the, the the sort of the breaks are off, you know. You can be a little bit more free with your language and a little bit more free with your opinions, but. 
yeah, that look of disapproving sort of like you're some sort of beast from the bog. I have that more than off, more often than not. But it's I think you, it's a way how you deal with it is says more about you than it does about the person saying it. Have you had a lot of family visit your new little world in Germany? Once once a year we'll get someone. I'm there more than they're here, to be honest. And it's more about price, like pr- practicalities of price. Costs a lot of money to like one one of my brothers has got two kids and that's four four tickets on a on a plane. Like, if you're going to spend that kind of money, why would you come and see your stupid little brother when you could go to like Orlando, <laughs> Disney World or something like that? Would be a much better way to spend your money than coming to Germany. But I guess the ratio is definitely off. But I'm okay with that. I mean, do you feel? Do you feel that? Do you think they they have like you have a responsibility to go back, or that they they have a responsibility to come see you? Um, I'm getting to a point where I'm like, all right, people can car- can come start t- seeing me, but um, with most people in my life having 10 to 15 vacation days, I'm not under the impression that they should be mm-hmm. using all of those to come here. And when they do, I'm not point. under the impression yeah. that, like, I, I would love it if they would say, let's spend the whole time in your town and let's really get to know your corner of the world. Um, but I get that that's not the reality and we need to go see a bunch of different places in that week. And that's that's fine. I just am very, I like I said earlier, I have a hard time not being like, let me just be there for everything. Like, I want to have the best of both worlds where I get to live in the mm-hmm. place that makes me happy. But I also am going to be there for every, you know, wedding, what have you. And I'm getting to the point now where it's just logistically and financially impossible. Mm-hmm but I'm still kind of holding on to it. And so I'm hoping that over time I'm going to become more like the direction that you've been saying where the decision becomes less labored and and more practice. Mm. Like you've done this, you know where your priorities lie, you know when to say yes and when to say no. And right now I don't, I I haven't learned that yet. And I'm just like, yeah, I'll I'll be there for all the time always. But there's no, there's no like rule book. No one gives you a book before you arrive. that says like, this is the rules to be in an ex. You, you must adhere to these rules. You must see your family three times a year. Like, it's, it's different for different people. So weddings, good example. If any of my family, well, they're all married now, but if they all get divorced and remarried, <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to a wedding because there's no way that I miss like a family member's wedding. But I think you just got to go with your gut. And, and, and affordability, like I would never put myself in a situation where I can't afford to eat, but I've got a ticket to go back to, to Britain because that ticket is just isn't worth, isn't worth it, you know? And so financially, you've got you've to be in the right place too. So we've been talking about with family, and I feel like the, the stakes are different there than with friends. So how did, how did this whole past seven plus years of your life go with friends from, from home, from college, what have you? I think a lot of the friend groups that are, and friends that I made were, were close when we're together, but we're not in each other's pockets. It's sort of my nomadic existence, basically, from, from the age of 15 onwards, means that you sort of have people here and people there. I've got this really weird hobby. I do English Civil War battle reenactments. Cool. Yeah, it's mega, man. It's the most cool thing ever. It's a group called The Sealed Knot, and there's like 3,500 members. I did it since I was nine years old. My mum decided we were going to do it, and then we did it. It's basically like a rugby match, but you've got a 16-foot stick and there's cannons going off and horses charging past you and middle-class people watching by the sidelines as they eat like cucumber sandwiches. And it's a really weird experience. And a lot of those people were friends slash family because you've known people since you were nine, you know, it's quite intense, those, those relationships. And also the fact that you're in a group of people, you're working as a team. These are people that you, you see 
maybe four or five times a year and you go and fight in this sort of battle and you have to work as a team to do it because it's kind of, like I said, a rugby scrum and you've got two of these packs of, of bodies with 16-foot sticks crushing into each other. So you build up quite intense bonds with the people who are there too. Is it staged or like choreographed or a free-for-all? So the, the first and foremost, the, the, you're reenacting historical events. And, right. Like the and, right side has to win. <laughs> yeah no yeah certainly but you, well yeah if you reenacted a massive battle like a like the battle of naseby is the largest land battle i think fought on british soil right and tremendous sort of uh violence occurs and you're i think people take a real real responsibility of we're reenacting an event that was massively important to british history where people died there's a responsibility to do it right but at the same time you don't pay your membership fee to be bored to tears for two hours you do it to have fun so there's an element of fun within that plus you're doing it for charity all the money that we get goes to charity and so there is there is there is organization there's usually some kind of script if it's a battle that didn't take place but we're recreating a skirmish maybe so this it's organized and you have time limits and you you have things that you have to do at certain points in the battle that have to be recreated but once you're in the middle of it and the smoke's everywhere and there's horses galloping past, you're basically just looking for a block of, of bodies that are the same size as yours. So you can have what they call a pike push, which is this two bodies of people just smashing into each other. Um, so and it's really painful and it's wonderful. It's like the most fun thing you can do. But yeah, going back to the point though, I started doing that again a couple of years ago and it was, that was, that, that, these are the people who were re- I was really close to and I've sort of lost contact with them from moving to germany and then i've reconnected with these people and it was like like i've never left you know these people were the same people and they just saw me as the same guy and there was jokes about germany of course and questions about germany but really everyone was really sort of lovely and and, and that was a really nice experience and so friends have been really good about it too um inquisitive curious certainly but they've all been very supportive do you live near your wife's family? About 45 minutes away. That okay. was the main reason we moved. So you don't um, have to balance that on top of figuring out how to maintain back home? We did. That was a big thing. And it was a big a big challenge. You can't underestimate how different the family dynamics can be between Germany and Britain. Because in my experience, the people that I was friends with would have done exactly the same thing as I did. They would have moved if they had the opportunity. And so you're surrounded by these people who are already of that mindset. And my wife comes from a small village, very close-knit family. Do you know the TV show, The Waltons? Yeah. That's the joke I always make is my wife's family are the Waltons. You know, they're just lovely, lovely people. And it's, it's a bit of a shock to the system because, like, that's one of the things that at Christmas, they got our instruments and played, like, one of them's on the clarinet, the other's sort of what? on the guitar. And they're singing Christmas carols, and I'm sitting there going like, oh, <laughs> this is way too wholesome for me. How, what have I done? How have I got here? You know? And so, But there, is, there was that tension of when we were in Nuremberg about when are we going to see them? They, they, they were very like sad when we would go and see them, and then they would leave. Uh, and that did it. It caused a lot of problems, because for me, I'm just sort of like, well, I left. <laughs> I yeah. left my family. <laughs> like, what's your problem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and that's been sort of resolved, I guess, by us moving, moving here. But I feel like that's the funny truth of this all too. Like the logistics of just looking at the facts on paper don't doesn't always 
match to reality you know like you would think like okay you move to close enough to her family in germany like done solved like no 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 it depends on exactly what type of family that is and how demanding they are and, and what level of like and not demanding in a bad way but you know like some families have a tradition every weekend and others have twice a year right like and you just have to negotiate this whole thing the traditions part is is, is, is a biggie because you, you have like their birthdays were proper events and everyone had skits everyone like someone did a song or someone would do and that again was a totally different culture from what like your birthday was here's a card uh, a cake happy birthday right that's the end of it there wasn't people coming to perform traditions wise i mean fashion is still a big thing like the fashion's fire the big the big sort of carnival parties and name days what Have you ever come across name days what is it no i don't know this Right, so this is something that totally blew my mind, right? Obviously, you have the Saints' Days, and Bavaria is super Catholic. Sure. So the Saints' Days, if, if your name corresponds with the Saints' name, it's like a second birthday. What? And obviously, I get a bonus because I'm, I'm technically Nicholas. So I get the 6th of December is Nicklaus Tag. So I could, I could, if I wanted to, sort of demand gifts, but I don't because I'm not a tyrant. Come um, on, what else are you going to do? It's handed to you. Well, my plan is if I have kids and they're really successful, that's when I'll start demanding gifts, you know? I'll be like... Ah, playing the long game here. Play the paper, you know? Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> but, like, my wife phones her family members on their name days and and they phone her and there's a gift exchange and that's a thing that's... I've just no experience of ever celebrating a name day because we're Protestants in Britain, so we don't... If we have no time for saints, we just get on with it, you know. We speak to the big man directly. That's uh, a, that's like a big... So when you have a child and you're naming the kid, like you have a lot of power in that moment beyond the normal <laughs> amount of lots of power in that moment, which is if you go with a name like Nicholas, for instance, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, you can you can like gift that child double birthday. But if you're like, nah, I don't think they need both, then you can name them like Xavier and call it a day. Huh. I mean, we'll just look at the we'll look at the baby and just go. Does this baby look like it's going to be like horrible? Because it's going to be horrible. Yeah, yeah. Only then... <laughs> or how bad the labor was, you know, like how it was like a fourteen-hour ordeal, like you little crap. Thirty-six no. hours. There's no name day for you. No. <laughs> it's it's hard. It's hard not to know the religious holidays in Germany because you get certainly in the south public holidays. So, yes. like I'm I'm fully aware when when is Saints Day because I'm in bed at, still at 10 in the morning so yeah like i'm like yeah i really love those religious icons you know but the spring where like every week you have a long weekend because there's something happening with the church mm-hmm. i don't i still i mean i don't know what they are but they're great we have um what what, what do we have in uh, corpus christi so yeah that's a big one uh, um, may may's may's a great month if everything works out you get public holidays almost once a week in May and the start of June. And what you're desperately looking for is a Thursday public holiday or a Tuesday public holiday because then everyone takes a bridge day and you just you get a, a, like a four-day weekend. Yeah. So Thursday, Friday, take a day off on Friday. That's amazing. So 
that's definitely a benefit. But even then, it's not like, yeah, like I said, I'm not religious, so I'm not, I'm not sort of celebrating anything. I'm just like, oh, I'm in my pajamas and it's one o'clock in the afternoon. Hey, hey. what a victory. Well, it's also, the, that's just when the weather is finally starting to get good. And so mm-hmm. I, I sort of like have my own little pet theory where I'm like, I don't really know that many people here who go to church super much, but they act like they do. And I feel like if you tried to take the holiday away, they would like really protest and be like, no, 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 I super love God. But it's like, I yeah. just want to have a lot of free time at the very beginning of summer or late spring when the weather's perfect. I would like to be outside. I'm not religious unless they start taking away the public holidays and then you'll you'll see me being the most Christian man you've ever seen. But exactly. Like my, my, dad, my dad was a vicar, right? So I went to Sunday school every Sunday and went to church every Sunday for a long time. I know my stuff when it comes to sort of religion. So... I'll happily explain why we should have a public holiday for for another reason, you know, like, well, actually, okay, so it isn't Corpus Christi then, but it's this reason and we'll have it this yeah. day. We are going to round the corner and head to home then and get to our ending segment, which is Zach, Zach, Zach. I'm going to ask you three questions. You're going to answer mm-hmm. them without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Okay. All right. I'll see if I can comply. <laughs> Um, we talked a lot about visiting family and travel and whatnot. So what is your preferred airline? I only really have one. It's KLM, the Dutch airline. What is one food that you eat when you're feeling homesick? There's one thing that I'll, I'll always make sure I've got is tea. It's the only thing that, uh, and it has to be a particular brand of tea. Otherwise you're wasting your time. And what is your favorite month of the year? Oh, God. Favorite month of the year. May? So many public holidays. That's true. We were just a discussing answer, this. But yeah, I go with <laughs> the, the, the bits of May where there's a public holiday. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Thank you for, for pushing through the hangover and coming and talking. <laughs> oh, no, no problem. It's, I feel infinitely better. It's better than having two paracetamol and four to sleep on the couch. <laughs> very good well good Um, luck with the the rest of the recovery and the rest of the day oh thank you very much Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation with Nick. And as always, I would love to hear your thoughts on the topic over at Instagram or at Twitter at The Expat Cast. And I invite you to shoot us an email at theexpatcast at gmail.com. And finally, please rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Thank you as always to my partner in life and in podcasting, Gordon Eisenach. And thank you to Amy Lungy Art for the logo, as well as to Sidehug for the theme music. You can find them on Instagram at a hug from the side. Next week on the show, we talk to an expat who recently made the decision to start preparing to move back home. What went into that choice, why, and what she's going to do with the time she has until the big move, all that and more in next week's episode.